Hello and welcome to the Cranodcast. Today we are sitting down with Becky and Sean as part of capturing what we're doing regarding the pottery project. Becky, Sean, if you just want to introduce yourself, Becky. Hi, I'm Becky Underwood. Um, I work at the Scottish Cranog Centre. Um, I'm here as part of the pottery project and I also do um, interpretation of our collection. Hello, I'm Sean Kingsley. I work at the University of Dundee and I also run my own pottery practice called Butterwine Pottery and I've been invited to help out on this pottery project for the Cranog. Wonderful Sean. So you've come to the Cranog Centre today if you'd just like to explain why you're here. Okay, so we're, um, we've been discussing two projects. One is to recreate some food utensils that can be used on an open fire based on the collection here and looking at some of the, the shards and trying to imagine how they were actually made, what shapes they were, what type of clay they used and how they actually heated their food up without these pots cracking because that's quite a challenge. Yeah. So Becky and I, who is also a potter, has, we've been talking through how that might be possible. Okay. And how might that be possible? Well, they, quite often with ceramics, you, you need to do some experimentation. So, yeah. So a bit of research and we'll, we're going to make some pots, try them out, see which ones blow up. And <laughs> which is ad, likely. Which is likely, <laughs> yeah. And adjust the shapes. But we've been looking at two sites, haven't we? So yes. You, you tell them more about that because that's... <laughs> So we, we have a, a, a little bit of pottery from the Oakbank Cranog on this loch, um, which is really chunky, um, probably part of a big bucket pot. Um, and then we're also looking at... Can I just say as well, it's, chunk, it's chunky and it's got lots of big stones in it. Mm. This big clay, yeah, yeah. They, they haven't cleaned up the clay very much at all. Yeah. So you reckon, from, from your experience, you would say that they've not added it in? It's what's left behind in the clay. It could be either. Could be either. Yeah, but the, I can't. At the moment, I don't understand why you would add in such big stones. It's mm. quite unusual. Mm. Yeah. And that's your experience. That's what as I've well. been saying since I got here. It's just a bit strange, strange mm. to look at and understand how they've fired it without it just blowing up mm. completely. Um, so that's the oak bank stuff, and then we mm. have uh, a large collection from. The Varbit, which is up on the Isle of Lewis, mm -hmm. um, and it's completely different. Um, roughly the same age, but very thin vessels and lots of different shapes. We've seen some nice flared rims, haven't we? Um, big. So, what do you mean by flared rims? Flared rims, the very top of the pots. Um, so, the bit that kind of just moves out, it's just shaped it just, out. It just shapes out, right. flares Nobody out. can see our hands. No. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the bucket pot that Becky's describing is just almost straight-sided. Yeah. Okay. You know. Okay, so it's not just the, the, the material you'd expect. Would you expect the material to be incredibly different in different areas? Well, yeah, that's one of yeah. the things that we're wondering about is the clay source that they used here. Mm -hmm. So one of the um, chaps that works here called Jason. Jason, Jason that's right. 
uh, he's found a clay source. So yeah, we're, we're, that's an experiment we'd like to pursue if possible is to use some of Jason's yeah. clay yeah. and see if that's sort of similar to... So we, we spoke to Jason clay. in our previous podcast about oh. his crucible reconstruction. Yes, it's and I lovely. Think there's, yeah, a, yeah. There's, a, there's, a connect, there's a connectivity here between mm. what he's doing and what you're doing. Obviously, yeah. it's all folded into the pottery project. Mm. But I know from what, what he found, which would be interesting to get your idea on, is that he found that his process in the clay... Um, he couldn't extract the mica schist from the clay mm -hmm. from where it was because that's just what was in it. Right. And we kind of always use this assumption that they're putting it in, but actually, he was quite clearly saying they're just not taking it out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That that'd be my. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting to see that you, you're talking about the oak bank pottery having really really big inclusions in it because again, is it added in or is it just not taken out? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of work there. That's, I'd be very interested in that. Mm -hmm. But then I'm sad. So there you go. <laughs> so. Um, so that's the oak bank stuff and the Dunvaravat stuff in terms of it's it's the biggest difference. What what would you say is the biggest difference? Um pretty much everything except yeah. for the way it's made. Um, okay. both pots are coiled and we can see the coils, which is basically when you add the sausages on top of each other and smooth them all out. Yeah. Um but everything else, the the shape the texture, I would say the fang slightly different as well, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, the thinness is the, the, thinness the, is the biggest. The thinness is the main difference, yeah. 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 So, and then there's some decoration, isn't there? There's had a lot of decoration, mm -hmm. yeah. The oak bank stuff doesn't have any decoration, mm -hmm. and no. the Dunvarovit stuff is just covered in it. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes almost the complete outside of the pot's covered in decoration. Mm -hmm. So. It's quite, so in a way, I suppose it, it's it's a, what you've kind of hit the nail on the head there is that we, we talk about Iron Age pottery, but actually we, we we shouldn't tar Iron Age pottery as a whole. This is what Iron Age pottery is like. And the local, your geography and your geology will dictate the pottery that you're making. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and Dunvaravat's got seemingly a, a source of clay which allows for finer pottery which they're able to put more decoration on the potter themselves, taking more time to do that. Whereas oak bank, it's maybe a bit rough and ready and all practicality driven. So mm. how are you going to do that? How is that going to translate into what you're making? Do you know yet? No, I think, no, I don't know. That's what the experiment <laughs> I love it. will be about. Brilliant. So uh, we, we have to get a clay that will work and that will survive thermal shock. But actually, in our chats, we're, we're, we're starting to think that, in fact, it wasn't, um, they weren't put on the fire at all. Okay. They were maybe using boil stones. Okay. Uh, especially with the, the, the shape of it. Most cooking pots across the world will be round bottom. Yeah. So by boil stones, well, how, how do you mean? What's the process well, there? As far as I understand, it's just a hot a stone that's been in the fire, which is hot. Yep. And then it's transferred okay. into the pot. Okay. Uh, with the with the um, water in it, and then whatever they're cooking, so that water would gradually get hot. You yeah. Know, we'd probably yep. allow that to heat up, and take the stone out, or yep. just add another hot stone. Keep cycling them around. Yeah. Okay. So it'd be a much slower cooking process, I would imagine. Yeah. But it wouldn't. It'd save the pot from thermal shock. Yeah. Which comes from um, direct heat 
on small area of the pot yeah and then the rest of the pot being much cooler mm -hmm. so you get that tension between the expand the clay that expands very slightly where it's hot mm -hmm. and then when it's cooler it hasn't expanded so you're getting this tension between the two bits mm -hmm. which is what you'd call thermal shock and that, yeah. that, that and causes the crack and yeah. then the crack of the pot. It's basically if, it, if it, the pot's getting really hot because you're putting it on the fire you're heating you're cooking but then as it's cooling only the base of the pot is kind of because it's only the base that's taking more heat you're getting different changes in tensions and then the pot is cracking because yeah. it's not cooling all <coughs> at the same rate yeah exactly it's, okay. it's not the extreme temperature itself because obviously yeah with standard hot temperatures the unevenness of the temperature okay and by placing and by placing the <clears throat> pot i would call sorry old archaeology term i would yeah. call them a pot boiler uh, where you take a stone and you put it in because it's got the water if you're cooking with that it's spreading the heat yes more evenly mm -hmm. through it yeah exactly Apart from where it hits the bottom of the, the pot, yeah. right enough. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, that's, it's going to be a challenge. I suppose there's been the Iron Age, there might be iron implements for them to use. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be a challenge picking up a hot stone, isn't it? And putting yeah. it in a pot without just yeah. dropping it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done a little bit with pot boilers. It was about four years ago. Okay. It was, I didn't, we, didn't, we didn't do pot boilers themselves. But you, the the amount of heat that can be transferred just through a hot rock is incredible. Because I, I we mm. did a we did a pit cooking, mm. and what we actually did is we took took a small pit, really ramped up the fire, put a load of stones, thermal resistant stones. We didn't use you know fri friable. You, ah, have to, you have to get the right stones to yeah, do yeah. it. And then we just shoveled all of those stones into a pit, mm -hmm. put a wrap joint of meat on top, and then just covered it over. Mm -hmm. And after two and a half hours, it had cooked the whole joint of meat right. just because of that transition mm -hmm. of heat. So yeah. I think actually, in if again, because it's something we don't use today, we, we we've lost practice maybe, yeah. and yeah, we, we've yeah. lost the technique of how to do it. But with a bit of a bit of know-how and a bit of mm -hmm. rhythm, mm -hmm. you can very easily cook, you know, yeah. hot water, yeah. anything mm -hmm. stew. Whatever it might be. I would explain why the bases of the pots are flat. Mm -hmm. If you have it on a flat surface. Um, yeah. And why they're so chunky as well, maybe to. Yeah. To, to hold, because you've got the, the impact. So. The, the chunkiness may come through the poor quality of the clay, though. That too. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, where, I mean, it looks potentially like it's quite silty. Yeah. You know, not that much clay in it, mm -hmm. or relatively, from a potter's point of view. It's That's okay. exactly what the stuff that Jason yeah. pulled out looked like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the lot bed, the lot bed clay, we call it the lot bed clay, but obviously it, it carries on onto the, the lock side yeah, of so, it down. But it's, it is, it's like um, when you take it out, it's very, very, I'm not a potter's term here, but it's very short, so it, right, it just exactly. breaks, it's friable yeah. and stuff, yeah. but it's like very silty. And this does make me wonder about the, you know, the making method. I mean, you're talking about the making it with sausages of clay, but yeah, when it gets like that, it becomes more a case of just uh, pressing it together, yeah. almost. Ah. And even if it was to go into a basket or something, it would be mm -hmm. held up yep. as it dries, mm -hmm. you know, and so almost. Scraped in, or a wooden mould, yeah, yeah, if that was possible. I mean, you you'd probably see evidence of a basket, wouldn't you? Right enough. That's or, why I had I had thought about that at one point. Um, yeah. A wooden mould at the base or something mm -hmm. that you could kind of prop it up. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. It's good stuff. So, um, so you're gonna experiment. Yeah, you're, you're gonna play mm. around. You'll you'll have to come back and tell us what you've played around with. All right. And we'll get all that in. Right. Um, and I believe you're gonna do some more work as well with the Cranog in terms of the groups that we're working with. That's right. Yep. So Becky, what's the, what's that plan there? So we're currently working with um, quite a few groups in the pottery project. Um, but the group that we're working with um, with Sean is RASAC, which is the Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre in Perth, and OILS, which is a one-stop learning service for mm -hmm. women who have served short-term prison sentences. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the women, are, you know, it kind of overlaps and mm -hmm. use both services. Um, so they came along a few weeks ago and um, they met us all for the first time. Uh, we had the site shut down for them and they got to make some pots uh, they did wire jewellery, we ate together, we played games um, and they're now part of our Cranog community um, so they'll be coming back hopefully and we'll be working with Sean for that so if you want to maybe talk about hmm. the park So well the idea was to um, make a, a plaque and inspired by the collection again mm -hmm. uh, but also make it as completely different from from the collection as possible yeah so the the antithesis not sure if that's the right <laughs> word it's a good word. the opposite yeah uh, of this very low fired local rough clay yeah we're going to use uh, a clay called parian mm -hmm. which is uh, very white it's translucent so you can mm -hmm. put a light behind it okay. and it'll, you'll get a glow from it. Um, and it's quite glass-like mm -hmm. as well. And it's fired to a much higher temperature. Yeah. So um, it's just to create that contrast. Mm -hmm. And the, the plaque hopefully will be lit from behind. And we're yeah. planning on... Um, we're going to... Well, I'm going to do some tests to, to make sure it works because with ceramics... There's always potential for failure, mm -hmm. even even with testing. But the more you can test, the more you can kind of get things nailed down and mm -hmm. workable. Especially if you're working with a group of people, you don't want to put a lot of effort in something that then fails, because everybody's disappointed. Then, well, so. you've never been to the crown up very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. So, um, you so, learn a lot from failure. That's like well, yeah, yeah. I like to do my failure in private. So. <laughs> Or not private, but uh, we'll, I'll certainly share it. Um, so the idea would be to make some tiles. I think we're, this is what we're, we're talking about: using, mm -hmm. getting some clay, um, getting these ladies to. Um, we're not quite sure of the brief, but decorate the, the tiles yeah. in some way with yeah. low relief. That should be led by them, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it could, up yeah. To what they want to represent. Yeah. We exactly. were talking about whether cool. they want to represent what they would have like to do in the Iron Age or mm -hmm. themselves now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, very much led by them. Mm -hmm. but... So we've got to sort of figure out what what the brief might be. Um, might be more open than that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we'll end up with some tiles. Fantastic. The, a low relief. Yep. Um, and then I'm going to take some plaster moulds of those. Yep. Those tiles. Yeah. So that we end up with the negative of it. Yeah, and then 
uh, we can pour the liquid parian clay into the, the tile, into yep. the plaster mold, sorry, and that then creates the positive of it. Yeah. And I've done, usefully done a demonstration with my hands there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll end up with the a recreation of the tile that was decorated, um, but in parian clay. Um, and by having the plaster mold, we can recreate this any number of times, and we can re recreate the, the tiles in um, different clays as well. Fantastic. Potentially put them in the shop. Yep. Don't know if we put them on display. Put them on display, things, whatever it might be. And also, the ladies obviously can take take away yeah. these pieces as well. So, brilliant. Well, it sounds like a fantastic project. So sounds yeah, it's, I think it's, I'm looking forward to. Into it, yeah. We'll have to do this again at a later date. Mm -hmm. Catch up on this project halfway through, and then maybe catch up again mm -hmm. when we're all done and dusted, and all our clay has worked, and nobody has failed. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time, and um, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Great. Thank you. It's Chantelle again instead of Richard this week as he's still on his honeymoon. Um, I'm sat here today with Fran and Jess um, from the Quenog Centre and they've both been on the podcast before discussing the Pottery Project. Um, so this is our third instalment on the Pottery Project in terms of podcasts. Um, and we've got Fran here and Jess to give you an update kind of the direction it's going in and the work they've done so far. So, Fran, if you want to tell me a little bit about a little bit of an update compared to the last time, which I think was May, the last time they had an update about the pottery project. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, it probably was, wasn't it? Um, we've done absolutely loads uh, since May. Um, Chantelle, it's been a fantastic summer for us. Um, we've really been able to reach out to the uh, target groups that we've been working with. Uh, we've done outreach um, for them, which has been um, which has involved us taking the pottery out to these organisations, to their offices and doing some fantastic um, immersive experiences and educational hands-on stuff, loads of fun crafts and things. Um, but we've also been doing events for them here at the centre. And uh, just to remind everybody, the target groups that we're working with are some support organisations in Perth, but we've now expanded that since our last podcast to include uh, Dundee as well. Uh, and these support organisations um, just give uh, a bit of a helping hand and advice and and care to people who are survivors of all manner of uh, domestic violence and sexual abuse and rape and so forth. So they really have been um, a wonderful group of people to work with and it's been fantastic that we've been able to do so many really lovely activities for them. So that's been the bulk of the stuff that we've done for them um, over the summer. Fabulous! Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how the engagement has been going? You've got since the last time they listened, the pottery pieces hadn't actually been in the back of the museum on the tours, but now they are. So you tell me a little bit about how that's helping you out, how you feel like that's progressing with the museum. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, uh, you're absolutely right. The, the, um, the pottery project is based at the back of the museum. So any visitors coming to see us will see that we've got some lovely pieces laid out for you to help us clean as you walk through the museum. Um, but we've been taking bags of the, um, the pot sherds and this is all two and a half thousand years old, this material. It's really, really gorgeous stuff. We've been taking it out um, to these groups or setting it up for them if they've been visiting us 
um, for, a, for a fully inclusive day. Um, they've been helping us clean uh, the stuff, they've been choosing items for display, but they've also been, um, as I said, uh, receiving a whole load of other activities. Um, what this has been helping us do is gradually, more importantly for us, it's been helping us work through the cleaning of the pottery so that it's all lovely and clean and ready for us to, to put on display. It's helping us to sort it and catalogue uh, the whole stuff as we go through uh, with all of that. And when we've been doing events for them here on site, we've been able to spread out of an evening uh, in, in the entire museum and really sort of help people get to grips. We had a wonderful evening last week where we must have got through about three or four bags of pottery. Mm -hmm. So that was absolutely fantastic with some, uh, some lovely people who came and uh, helped us with that from the Bredalban Heritage Society. Um, so whether we're doing this uh, work in-house in, in at the museum or whether we're doing it, uh, taking it out to people, um, doesn't matter. They still get a fantastic day with us. And it's very much about learning who they are, who these groups are who uh, our new partners are for this project. It's all very much about sharing our knowledge with them, them sharing their experiences with us, and everybody comes together in this lovely uh, collaboration, really, in order to um, get uh, the project de dealt with, but actually it's about us reaching out to everybody. So although we've done some wonderful stuff learning about our pottery, finding out all these gorgeous pieces, discovering some pieces as we've cleaned them, what's been really lovely ultimately is about making friends discovering all these lovely new partners to work with, making friends and hopefully getting them engaged with all our work in the future. And I think that's a really crucial thing that this project's done for us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what have your favourite kind of moments been so far in kind of that journey of making the connections and making bonds with people as opposed to just, um, yeah, to just cleaning pieces of pottery, like how is it building the relationship? Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I think um, um, for me, uh, the the journey has been very much that 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 bridging that uh, that, that gap. You know, we've we've been able to build such um, such a rapport with people, um, and I think one thing that strikes uh, that stands out for me um, in particular was when we uh, greeted a coach party of people. Um, who came to visit us for, for one of these um, events and they were incredibly shy um, uh, because of their experiences and they've had horrific experiences mm -hmm. but they absolutely recoiled from us when we first met them in the car park. We walked them over to the centre at the end of the day they were giving us hugs and saying thank you what a fantastic day. They were coming out of the shells they were talking to us and I remember um, sitting at the table making a, a pottery um, tray, a little pottery dish uh, with another group, um, uh, with some people around the table, and one of these ladies in the group uh, was just chatting away to me, and uh, it was the first time that she actually began to speak, and she was making the most gorgeous little decorative piece. It's just about making those lovely connections. It's very difficult to put that experience into words, really, but... Yeah, it's been a really rewarding journey. Yeah, I, mean, I think it? the first time I was on the, this podcast was with Ticker, and we'd just done the pottery um, conservation workshop, yep. and since then I've been doing the out and the in reach and it's just it's good fun as well when we have um these groups come to us it just it changes the feel of the site we're able to like you said it just really it's social we're being with these people we're engaging with them it's not all about just history and pottery it's just about people connecting yeah over something over something that is interesting as well we're sharing that interest um you mentioned dundee as well so i was on the group that went to dundee with the pottery in the back of the car and that was a bit um my heart was pounding the entire time knowing <laughs> that I've got this 2,500 year old pottery just in the boot of the car the whole yeah. time <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah. it was really good fun, and that particular um, session was with a group of kids with additional support needs, and we just had a really nice time. And yeah. I think I hope we were able to provide them with a really positive experience as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what makes makes this kind of thing so rewarding. Really, mm. um, it helps us from a curatorial point of view, but ultimately, mm. it's about sharing our collections with people. You know, they're not for us to keep in a box and, you know, not let people look at. They they are there. They were left behind. You know, by the Cranog people for us to to share with yeah. the communities of today. Mm -hmm. And as Jess says, it's just been incredibly rewarding. Absolutely. So any of these groups you have like an ongoing relationship with across the course of the Pottery Project? Is there any groups that you kind of have in repeat outreach with? Yeah. yeah. So we've been doing a lot um, with Bernardo's, the mm -hmm. charity organisation, as I think Fran mentioned. Also the Bridalburn Heritage Society that we had over for an evening of crock washing. That was really lovely. We had coffee, we had cake and the evening just went so quickly and we're hoping to have them back with us sort of throughout November. We'll have days have some tea and cake and we just spend a day in the museum just cleaning pottery learning about it together sharing that experience it was it was just a really lovely social evening that mm. happened to be really productive as well yeah 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 um so we have had some new people join the team for the pottery project as of recent um so jess would be taking on um a role in the pottery project so jess if you want to first of all give a refresh of the basic pottery project aims and intentions for maybe potential new listeners mm -hmm. um, and a little bit about why you've joined and what kind of direction you'll be taking yourself yeah. down the pottery project so i wasn't actually expecting to be a part of the pottery project when especially when i was first on this podcast it was a complete coincidence that i was on a pottery based episode uh, but since then i am part of the pottery project now i've been an outreach in reach i've been just cleaning the pottery we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these beautiful pieces of pottery, broken sherds, um, all from, um, I think it's all from Lewis, from the Isle of Lewis, from an Iron Age Cranog over there. And all of these pieces need to be cleaned and they all need to be analysed, they all need to be documented. And I'm just going to be doing a big part of that. But as we've been saying, we're not, it's not just someone sitting in a cold little office room doing it by themselves. We're making it this really fun, exciting community project um so i've been doing a lot of that um, as winter comes along as our site closes to the public a little bit more i'll also have more time to just sit and do some solid data entry which will be quite nice as well just to sit and focus completely on that um, as well as doing a little bit more outreach there mm. fabulous so in terms of the data what kind of information can you kind of gauge that we're getting already like what kind of pieces are you finding what kind of stories are they telling so far? Yeah, um, with the kind of information that you want to get, um, you can do a basic, um, a very basic physical description of the piece. We need to weigh the pieces, we need to measure them. But because, as Jess said, we've got so many pieces, <laughs> um, and literally we have about 40 boxes uh, of wonderful shirts, um, we're going to be uh, highlighting or, or, or cherry picking the pieces that can tell us something about the pottery. So what we're looking for are pieces that are diagnostic. That would be either rim pieces, base pieces or decorative bits. Mm. Those are the bits that can tell us a really good true story. Those are the ones which will be individually weighed and um, uh, measured uh, and, uh, and described. Uh, and then the other pieces will be kept in their context. That's the part of the site on which they were found. They will be kept um, 
collectively together and in small quantities just collectively sort of identified and so on it's you could describe this as the biggest jigsaw puzzle in the world because we hope that by the time we've finished this process, or rather by the time Jess has finished this process, um, uh, with others hopefully helping her along the way, and that's yeah. where the volunteers can come in. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it'll be nice for them to realise that they're not just cleaning a piece and then it goes back in a bag, that there is this kind of process and um, a sort of a series of sort of activities and events and things that happen um, uh, to, to a piece of pottery. Um, but once we've got those together, we're hoping actually that we'll have enough information and description and also just visually looking at the pieces. With any luck, we'll actually be able to uh, reassemble a pot. Mm -hmm. And that would be fantastic if we that could do that. That would be the ultimate Even goal, if there's one yeah. or two little gaps or a piece missing, if we could actually reassemble a pot three quarters or more, that would be, oh, I it think, would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that would be wonderful to do. Have you found any pieces so far that you think may have been part of the same, the same part? Interestingly, yes, we have. And what makes our life difficult, if you like, or the job, if you, you could say it's an int makes it more interesting, mm -hmm. is that they're not necessarily found in the same area. So we have to imagine back on the Cranog site that somebody dropped a pot and in frustration they picked it up and they might have flung the pieces in a you know in different directions. So one piece of the pot may end up on one side of the site and another piece of it may end up in the other side. Another thing that can happen is that children could have picked up some pieces because they found them pretty to look at. They could have taken them off to a corner of the house and then dropped them there. So that's how another, you know, important piece of a pot may end up apart from, you know, yeah, totally away travels. from the rest of its, its yeah, uh, yeah its, its neighbours or all the bits that it belongs with. Uh, and another thing that can happen is that people can pick up a broken pot and think that that's going to be useful to use as rubble infill for a wall. So sometimes we're finding whole clusters of these pieces of pots all in one area, but then a few other vital parts from one pot may be in a completely different area. So the context, the area of the site on which they're found is useful, but we do have to kind of make sure that we're looking at all those different pieces. So yeah. we have to kind of be aware of remembering that we saw a really nice thin orange piece and I oh yeah I remember seeing a really nice thin orange piece My you know in, in a bag from a completely different yeah. context two weeks ago and we've got to really at some point we'll be spreading things out and really having a good visual just look and feeling and uh, yeah. and just sort of using all of our senses really just to... so much is by feel as totally. well totally um, especially when you're looking for fingerprints we often find fingerprints on yeah. the outside but also the inside a lot of times it's on the inside of the pottery yeah and you might not visually clock onto that immediately but when you run your finger over it <coughs> it becomes really obvious and that sort of stuff is really important and just very yeah. very human it really connects to you it does to the it? people throughout the past yeah yeah absolutely it does yeah so it's uh, it's really humbling it's a gorgeous yeah. project but it's really humbling yeah. at the same time when you when you realize you've got that connection to them yeah. That every piece of this pottery was held by someone. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I find that very, very Yeah. Yeah, very it's touching. Quite magical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really yeah. is. Yeah. Getting to actually touch parts of, of history yeah. of past people's lives. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um so with the pieces you've found so far, can you kind of make a guess or some sort of understanding of what this pottery might have been used for? Like, is there any particular cooking pieces you've been able to determine, any bars, decorative pottery, just bowls to hold things in. Have you kind of been able to make those kind of guesses so far with the pieces you've got so at the moment? Well, we found a few pieces that we think probably have burnt food on the inside, um, which is really exciting because we can send those off for analysis, hopefully, fingers mm -hmm. crossed, and um, someone will be able to tell us exactly what they've been cooking on it. 
We also found um, really small pieces as well. Some rims are incredibly tiny. I don't think they are, aren't they? From... Very fine and thin. Yeah, yeah. it's um, not going to be a pot for storing apples or something in. No, no. Um, but uh, but but you're absolutely right, Chantal. I suppose we're looking for things. If there's any kind of soot or sooting on a piece, that might tell us that it was used near the fire. Yeah. Um, so they might have been wanting to dry something out inside it, or just roast off hazelnuts or something like that. It doesn't have to be necessarily a liquid food that's in there. Um, or they might have had some milk. Uh, in a pot and just left it beside the fire to warm mm. it up because they wanted to have that cream rise into the top you know as part of the whole dairying process um, and um, so so the scorching the sooting is nice to find um, but uh, not until we've I think reassembled or hopefully um, assembled a couple of pots will we be able to get an idea of what their overall shape was like and then that will tell us whether that was used for storage or for transportation or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, the, the pieces aren't telling us um, uh, a great deal apart from uh, potentially, as I say, being near a fire. Hopefully we'll get much more of a sort of full answer to that when we've um, um, glued a few bits together. Or at least, <laughs> oh, or at least uh, yeah, given a conservator, given them to ticker, our wonderful yeah. conservator to glue together. And that's where the diagnostic pieces really come in, the rims and the bases, because those are the ones that are going to yeah. tell you about the shape of the pot, the style, the size, hopefully as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so we can get a better idea of just an outline, really. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of the, the type of styles that we're dealing with here. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So roughly, how how far through these boxes of pottery they've got absolutely heaps and heaps of boxes of pottery. If you've ever been on one of the one of the tours at the back of the museum, um, roughly how far would you say you're through now? So we're about how many months are we into the project now, Fran? Um, we started the project in um, March, uh, April. Although we didn't really get started until um, the middle of, of summer, really, um, mm -hmm. in terms of sort of having a good look. It's difficult to tell because we're we're we're, put, we're cleaning things um, from a mixture of different contexts at the moment. That's how we started out, and we're only now kind of stopping doing a scattergun approach and actually methodically working through um, box by box. So, for example, I put some pieces away today um, from last week's um, crock wash and found that um, half the box had already been, uh, or half oh, wow. of that context number had already been previously cleaned and there were just one or two bits left oh, in that's there. that's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I would still hazard a guess that we were only about five, ten percent oh, through goodness. cleaning everything, I think. Mm -hmm. Still a long way to go. Well, if anyone's got any helping hands, you book a book down at the museum and help us <laughs> wash some pottery. Because when I say we've got a lot, I mean we have yeah. got a lot. If you've ever followed it on the Instagram or the Facebook, you see what we've got going on. Um, so, so far, both of you, mm -hmm. what have been some of your favourite pieces that people have, have found on this crop wash? Mm. Fingerprints are definitely always, yeah. there's always something really, really magical about that. Um, lots of people get, are really drawn to like certain pieces. Mm -hmm. They'll sort of spend a lot of time cleaning that piece and looking and asking questions about that particular piece. Um, my personal favourite so far has been this absolutely tiny little rim piece. Um, it's not much bigger than a fingernail, I want to say it's a straight rim, but it's so delicate and so mm. thin mm. and it's just such a, a joy to look at, it just makes me very happy, mm. um, it's just very cute, uh, it's very delicate and to think of someone making the effort of making that and making it so neat and so tiny and then wondering what's been in it as well, it's just yeah, yeah, it really captured my imagination. Yeah, that one. yeah, that that, that that was lovely, wasn't it? I, I'd have to agree with Jess. I, I think for me, it's the it's the pieces which have been 
either decorated with fingernails or fingerprints or mm -hmm. as Jess says on the in inside base uh, of them um, where they've uh, sort of depressed um, periodically over the base of a, of a pot um, to, to thin out the clay in certain areas to speed up the cooking process just to convex so that heat clever, through. Yeah. Very clever isn't it? But um, the other thing that I've really loved is where we've found pieces again using fingers but where we've had coils because often these pots are just a, a simple coil pot that was the most um, uh, frequent way uh, of making pots uh, at this time period and sometimes you can see on the inside of a piece where two coils together have just been smeared with the finger either just to sort of glue them together just to sort of force them just to meld with mm -hmm. each other a little bit um, or perhaps where they've collapsed slightly and you can tell that the person has held the pot uh, the wet clay in their hands and just sort of press them back together again and when you see their fingerprints caught by accident like that I think that's, that's really really, really something isn't yeah. it because the deliberate fingerprints are absolutely gorgeous but this is a person just accidentally or without thinking about it scraping their um, uh, wiping their finger uh, across a piece of wet clay and that that's it's that just whole smear has been captured in time isn't totally it? So it's it is just yeah instant yeah subconsciously as well like unconsciously a absolutely done. yeah yeah, yeah. Some of the favourite pieces I've found, so I'll go and have a little clean if I'm ever in the back or just taking some content um, in the museum. And the pieces that I found the most interesting, surprisingly, are the ones with the burnt food on. Um, I remember the first time I found a piece, I was with you, Fran, at one of our events, and I put those goggles on that mm -hmm. magnified it, and I was just having a look, and I was like, the inside of this one almost looks like the inside of a volcano, like it's really black, it's all really burnt. And then Fran's like, oh yeah, that's burnt food, and I was like, like it was really like wow it's just the first time i've found a piece that's got some sort of like more information to it other than a broken piece of pottery and i was like oh, that's burnt food from two and a half thousand years ago it's in my hands it's because you've got that direct <laughs> human interaction with the pottery yeah. from all that time ago you someone had to have done that and now yeah. you're holding it yeah um so it's a lot of what we do is is our sort of motto is is thousands of fingerprints so that's from the past but also now mm -hmm. the more people we get involved the better because then they have that connection yeah to the pottery as well so there's an ongoing yeah thing as mm. well. yeah def definitely it's about sharing the whole experience with everybody yeah. else definitely yeah it really is like because I, I i don't come from a history background i've mentioned before i'm the marketing officer um just covering for richards i don't come from a history background so um this is the first time i'm getting to experience a lot of like the inside works of a museum and it really is just quite like magic, I said it before, it's magic. Um, but being able to come down, just get hands-on with, with the past is something I would absolutely recommend to anyone. So if um, anyone's tired yeah. of cleaning their own dishes at home. Just come <laughs> and clean ours. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We'll be letting you, uh, Chantel, know when our um, uh, our volunteer cleaning days are over the yeah. winter. So um, they, they can be posted up on social media and anybody who wants oh, to join in yes you know, it'll be course. a lovely social day as uh, jess said coffee and cake and a few tables set yeah. up and a good chat yeah. and it's, just cleaning two it's quite therapeutic isn't it it really, like, it really is. is yeah i forget how how just involved i get in it like when we did the crock wash in the evening it was i think it was supposed to be two hours and fran came and said oh we've we've reached a natural break with our um our bags and I thought, oh, time for time for another cup of coffee. She's like, no, no, we're all going home now. <laughs> Two hours yeah. have just passed. It was just, yeah. It yeah. was incredible. And just being in the museum, in the quiet with other people, surrounded by all the other artefacts as well. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a really nice experience as well. It's quite yeah. quite immersive, quite, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Absolutely. 
Um, and in terms of um, the plans for the rest of the year up until um, our season closes here on this current site, what are the plans? I know you've mentioned we've got the volunteer days, but is there anything mm -hmm. else that you're planning on in the works for now? We've got a couple more um, in-reach uh, days to do mm -hmm. for, our, for, for our, the organisations that we're working with. They're going to be coming to us in uh, November and uh, December. Um, and then we'll be really, I think, cracking on with the cataloguing of these pieces and a bit of sort of um, collections management with our volunteer days once a week as well. Um, and um, we also need to be uh, selecting some pieces to send off for analysis because we are going to do some radio well we're going to do some dating uh, and um, and also um, uh, get those lipid analysis done mm -hmm. uh, as, as Jess mm. says to see you know if we can get any kind of clue as to the food that they were um, cooking or, or, or warming up or you know any sort of process that they were using the pots for so we've got to identify some of those pieces and get those sent off and then in the new year we'll begin to be thinking about what the displays might look yeah. like Ooh. we've already got some of the interpretation um, done, um, but we need to be thinking collectively about moving the whole museum anyway over to Delo, mm -hmm. and part of that process will involve what the new pottery display looks like. So there'll be quite a lot of. Um, it's going to be a very busy winter. <laughs> Lots <laughs> of packing, yet. unpacking, definitely, cleaning. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that, guys. Um, like I said, and we all mentioned, if you do feel like coming down, keep an eye out on our social media pages and our website on when we'll have the specific volunteer days. Or if you are fairly local, um, come down to the Cranog Centre and you can have a go um, as long as you want in the back of the museum. <laughs> <laughs> help us clean our pieces of pottery. Yes, please. Um, you know, any, any help, any hands needed. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, we've also got our Samhain event on the 31st of October, which is the last evening event of the year um, and the second to last event of the year. So if you're looking for something to do, you've got no Halloween plans, I would definitely recommend coming down. We're going to have a ram burn going to have aerial fire performances it's going to be really spooky but you know it's going to also be really fun <laughs> we won't scare you too much and um, but other than that thank you for listening guys hi everyone um i'm chantelle and i'm back again with amy and jess and we are with a very special guest today. If you would like to introduce yourself, please. Hello, my name's Gretel, Gretel Evans, and I'm a conservator from AOC Archaeology. Um, and why are you down at the Cranock Centre today? Well, I've come down here to look at the, uh, some of the wonderful collection on display, uh, particularly the um, foundation posts from the, um, from the Cranock, which were excavated sometime in the 1980s. And we're looking to move them and conserve them. So currently they are sitting in water as they have been. The water's preserved them for the last two and a half thousand years or, or more. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to move them. So it's going to be easiest if we can take them out of the water. And if we're going to do that, then we feel that it would be best to preserve them by treating them with, uh, impregnating them with polyethylene glycol and then carrying out a process called freeze drying, which will stabilize them, it dries them and it supports them. So then they don't need to be in water anymore and it will be easy to display them, people can see them and the wonderful tool markings on them. Fabulous. The other thing that we've done today is I was looking at the collection with the idea of doing what's called a conservation assessment. So the collection's in good shape, but obviously all archaeological objects are very fragile and over time they, they do decay. 
these have had conservation uh, processes carried out in them sometime um, after excavation, so that probably be in the 80s or the 90s. And as with everything, um, it's only slowing down the process of deterioration. So we're going to take another look at their condition and see if there's anything we can do for them in terms of making them a little bit more stable. Uh, so what we'll be doing is coming back, looking at every object, and then I will go away and write a, uh, an assessment which would detail the condition of the objects and suggest treatments where we think we can improve the condition and stability. Fabulous, thank you. And Jess and Amy, what are your thoughts on the process so far? Have you found, found today? How have you found working with Greta? Oh, it's been lovely. It's been really nice. Um, there are going to be some challenges when it comes to moving. <laughs> Everyone's nodding right now. Um, there are going to be some quite sizable challenges. Um, just the sheer size and weight of the uprights is going to be an issue. The fact that they're in water, we have to somehow drain that water without flooding the entire centre, <laughs> um, preferably, I think. Um, so it's, it's logistics like that as well, how are we physically going to lift this stuff, how are we physically going to move it, mm. how are we going to collect the water that's spilling, mm. all these little things that we wouldn't have solutions or we yeah. need Gretel to help us and, um, and guide us <laughs> with her expertise. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting project. I think the word challenge is definitely the, the right approach. Um, obviously, somebody put them into water and they need to come out of water, mm -hmm. so it is possible, but they, it could be a bit of a paddling pool on the day. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the main concern I have is just uh, looking after the wood objects because they are um, so soft and so mm -hmm. they could be easily marked if they're not handled appropriately, so that's what we have to be careful on the day, just making sure that we we handle them and uh, they don't come to any um, harm or yeah. any damage, which I'm sure they won't. But it's, it's going to be an interesting couple of days. Yeah, I'm just excited to get them out of the water tanks. Yeah. I mean, they look great in there now, but it'll be really nice to have them out and stable so we can look at them closer up. Like you said, there's really nice tool marks mm -hmm. on there, um, which have been studied previously, but it'd be nice to look at them close up. Yeah, I think they look fantastic yeah. when, when, when they're done. That'd be a really good, really positive step. And what are the plans kind of in terms of how they will be displayed in the museum? Obviously, you won't have anything um, <clears throat> set in stone, but um, are you going to put them back um, in a similar, in the, in the water tubes, or are you going to display them in a different way? Like, how are you planning on going about that? Well, I think Andy, the, the museum designer, has got some good ideas, and, and I think he's really excited about the fact that they will now be dry and stable after their conservation, um, which gives him a, a, a lot more options for display. Um, and I think he's talking about having them arranged so that they would almost replicate how they would have been uh, in the Cranog. We've also discussed doing um, three-dimensional digital recording of them uh, and if you do that then you would be able to have like a digital render which you can literally manipulate in three dimensions so that would be really exciting for a kind of some kind of graphic display as well oh, that they could produce. Fabulous, that sounds very exciting. <laughs> it's just another way of preserving that information yes. that they hold as well. Yeah. I think it's really valuable if mm. God forbid something does happen, yeah. um, there is damage mm -hmm. then we have that Record. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's a, a totally accurate replication of the object, the size, the dimensions, and the the, the tool marks should be captured wonderfully as well. So people can do even more analysis um, with that digital data as well. Fabulous. And in terms of the next steps of this little project, um, what are you kind of looking forward to? Um, obviously finding out. Amy mentioned the um 
look at the plastic yeah. tool marks, but is there anything else that either you or Jess are interested in in the next process? Well, um, I'm interested in just coming back for another visit because it's an absolutely gorgeous environment and I'm very jealous of everybody who works here <laughs> on a daily basis and I'm feeling like it's a wonderful Friday out in the office for me. So I'm looking forward to coming back, uh, approaching the challenge of getting them out and um, doing a good job on that and then obviously we will wrap them up and transport them very carefully to our premises over at uh, AOC where we can start the conservation process. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to coming back and, and you know, getting the job done, um, but enjoying the, the time on site as well. Fabulous. <laughs> what about you, Jess? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm just excited for the logistics to see yes. how it all works. Because <laughs> we will work it out, yeah. but it's getting to that step. It's, it's the troubleshooting, it's the throwing ideas out, I think is going to be, we're going to get quite creative with it, <laughs> quite out of the box. Um, a children paddling pool yes. was mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your cozy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone's going to be on waterproofs that yeah. day. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really excited to see you to be a part of that process as well. I think it's going to be a, a real privilege to, yeah, to participate in. Yeah. Fabulous. We'll make sure to take lots of pictures of when it does actually happen so people can actually see the mess. <laughs> That it is potentially almost definitely going to make. Yeah. Um, but that's everything. Is there anything else that you'd like to add at all? No, just I've had a lovely day out looking at looking at the objects and From meeting meeting the team. To working with Greta Friday as well. Yeah, it's been lovely. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much, guys.